I was a believer. I had not read the Bible. I didn't know much about it. Uh, I knew the gospel. I knew I was a sinner. Didn't know much else. And uh, my first year of college, I decided, well, you know, my goodness, if I'm, if I'm a Christian and going to live the Christian life, I need to read this book. And that was a good decision, and that was true. And uh, when I got to First and Second Samuel, I was captivated uh, by th- these books and by David, and particularly by Second Samuel chapter 22. Uh, it really gripped me. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful section of Scripture. It's unlike any of the rest of the book. Essentially, it's a psalm. That here in the narrative of 2 Samuel, you have embedded within it a psalm. And it's very appropriate after you've read First and Second Samuel. And you've kind of gone through this saga of David. And it's been a saga, hasn't it? It's like you look at the life of David and what he's been through. And it reminds you of through many dangerous toils and snares, I have already come. His grace has led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's kind of like our life, right? We, we can resonate with that song because there are dangerous toils and snares we go through. And God's been there th- by his grace through them and, and with us. And just especially 2 Samuel, which is, is largely negative about David. Uh, that, there again, don't, don't be confused. This book paints a, a very negative picture in some ways about David. Uh, because the, 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 the arc of Second Samuel, the story arc of the book, uh, begins with God's amazing promise, God bringing David into the kingship, but, but much of the book is taken up with David's sin and the consequences for his sins, which obviously highlights the grace of God and the plan of God. But that's not all there is to Second Samuel, because you've got a chapter like this, a praise to God because of his deliverance. 2 Samuel chapter 22, we'll begin in verse 1. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. One of the things also before we read it to say about this, and I'm just going to go down probably through verse 20 tonight. I would would tell you about this scripture. It's a scripture so good and so significant that it's in the Bible twice. Psalm 18 is essentially the same text, which... We'll, we'll talk about that and the significance of it, and I'll show you some of the similarities and differences in 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 when we get there, but, but at least for now, just recognize the significance of this. It's so significant that it appears again in the Bible. Very unusual. And the differences highlight some important realities that we'll discuss at a later time. 2 Samuel 22, beginning in verse 1. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. For the ways of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God I called. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. 
Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. And the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning, and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the earth were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. What you have here in this psalm is a praise to God. And it's a praise to God because of his salvation. It's very similar to the Ephesians passage this morning. Praise God in his, in his providence, the timing of these two passages uh, coming together. It helps us understand David's kingship and how David views his kingship. That, that essentially, again, one of the, the key reminders about David, and, and especially seen in, in 2 Samuel 22, is it, it, it would be easy for one to, to read 1 and 2 Samuel and, and, and say, my goodness, David is a great leader. David is the guy who slew Goliath. He's a, he's a man of courage. He's a terrible husband. Terrible family life. Awful dad. Say a lot of things about David. But you see in this passage, how does David parse out his relationship with God? It's about the powerful work of a great God. That's what David's life illustrates and highlights. And that's why here in, in essentially what is his, his last words of praise seemingly, these aren't his final words, incidentally, that's going to come in chapter 23. 23 verse 1 you'll notice, these are the last words of David. And somewhere near the end, you can read in another text his final charge to Solomon, which is really instructive. But this seems to be like the last song he writes. And it's about God's deliverance. Look at it. David spoke to the Lord the words of this song. So keep in mind, this is a song. On the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. It appears that this is near the end of the, of, of the life of David when essentially the Philistines are, are, have been put down. The rebellion of Absalom is a thing of the past. All of David's enemies have been routed. And David's explanation is, this is the work of a great God. One of the, one of the things that you see in the history of God's people is in response to great acts of salvation and deliverance, you find a song. Whenever the, the Israelites are brought through the Red Sea by the power of God, what happens? There's a song. There's a song. David, after his, again, many toils, trials, and sins, what do we have here? There's a song. And this is a song about God. It's a song about God's salvation. And it begins with a description 
about God. Now you remember in, in the praise, the doxology in Ephesians. Now unto him. It starts with God. It's about God. It's directed to God. Look at how David begins this song. The Lord. <laughs> That's how it begins. He said, the Lord. These are the first words of the song. From the very outset, it's directed to, to God. And it's a description about God. Again, when you study praise, when you study worship, when you study prayer in the Bible, you'll often find at the heart of praise and worship are these confessions about God. That's what worship, worship is a response to these realities about God. Here is a song about God. The Lord is my rock. And what follows in this song about God are all these metaphors, this poetry in verses 1 and 2 and 3, this poetry about God, where David likens God to other things to demonstrate and, and explain and illustrate God's power. Now unto him, the Lord is my rock. Now look at these metaphors. My rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. Th did you notice a similarity there? My. God is personal. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not detached. He's relational. He's close. I belong to him. He's my Lord. And then the metaphors themselves. These metaphors speak of shelter, protection, safety, security. That, that it, keep in mind, most of the environment David is operating in is like a desert. It's essentially like a desert environment with mountains. That's what much of it is like. There are some places with grass and trees. But much of the Middle East, especially where David's operating, is mountainous and rocky and scorching heat. Most of the Hebrews did not work in the middle of the day because the heat was so intense. So imagine you're in exile or you're on the run from a king who's trying to kill you. And you see a rock way up there in the distance. And it's 110 degrees. Not a cloud in the sky. No moisture anywhere. And there's a rock that is producing some shade. That might be a nice place to go. That's this imagery. God is a rock. He's a, he's a shelter. He's a place of protection. The rocks made good places to hide. Because you could get down in them. There were caves there. This is about shelter. This is about security. He's my rock. He's my fortress. Again, a fortified area. He's a protector. He's my deliverer. He brings me through this. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. Again, one of the characteristics of Scripture and, and the descriptions of God you find in Scripture, one of the characteristics of the Psalms, the songs of worship in the Old Testament about God for God's people, one of the characteristics about these songs and the worship of God is repetition. Or we might say redundancy. Uh, I think it's beautiful, inspired, glorious redundancy. Did you notice the redundancy? Here, he's my rock. He's my rock. It's all right. Praise God. If you need a rock, it's good to know God is a rock. A protector, a shelter, 
a place of security. A lot of this is military language, you notice. Again, if you study David's life, he's hiding in rocks. It's a secure place. It's a defensible area. And then he's a fortress, refuge, shield, horn of salvation. This is military language. You know what a shield does. It protects you from a, the blow of a deadly weapon. That's what he's likening God to. God's the one who protects him. God takes the blow meant for him. God shields him from his enemies. Horn of my salvation. The idea of the horn is essentially the idea of strength. This is just a metaphor in the ancient world for strength. That essentially, it's just, this is just one that's really hard for us to get because it is so far removed from our culture and our context. We just don't have uh, really any point of reference for that, the, the way they use the word horn. <laughs> it means strength, right? Uh, a bull can gore and kill someone with his horn. It's his strength. God's David's strength. And notice he's the horn of my salvation. How am I saved? Because of God's power and strength. My stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. He saves me. He saves me. David understood he needed a Savior. It's very clear just in these few verses that we've read here. You save me from violence. It's a description of God. And specifically about God's protection and salvation. Not only is it a description about God or a portrayal of God, in this song there is also a prayer for deliverance. Look at it in verse 4. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. How is David saved? He's saved by calling upon the Lord. He asks God for help. And this is where we need to recognize we need help. And I think most people know that. Try to make it in this world. You need help. Well, where do you turn? Well, you think about the problems David had. Where does he turn? He turns to the Lord, the one true and living God. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. It's the Lord who saves him. He pleads with God. He prays to God, and God brings deliverance. It's also the prayer of a distressed man. That's what verses 5 and 6 illustrate. Look at David's context. Look at, look at the pit from which he's praying in verse 5. Four. Here's why he needs to be saved. Here's why God being a rock and a refuge is so important. For the waves of death encompassed me. Notice that's past tense. David's been delivered at this point. The waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. It's, a pray, it's a, the praise of the distressed or the desperate. Look at how desperate David is here. Look how he describes his circumstance. The waves of death. By the way, the imagery of waves and torrents is the imagery of drowning. One that David uses in a few other psalms. Now there's a frightening experience. And David likens his distress at the hands of enemies to the ways of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. So there's this imagery of drowning. Then there's this imagery of death. The cords of Sheol. To be captured and held down by death. The snares of death confronted me. 
This is a dark place David finds himself in. And he calls out to God for deliverance. You see, powerful men are using powerful means to eliminate David. Much of his life. There's Saul, who's the king. (laughs) Then there's the Philistines, who are the nation and that that essentially are in the ascendancy through much of the life of David. And then there's Absalom, his own son, and Absalom's company of traitors. These people are are out to get him. Over and over again, people trying to kill him. In fact, in 1 Samuel 20, verse 3, David says, there is but one step between me and death. I think it's in 1 Samuel 27, David shares, Saul is going to kill me. David, there's a time in David's life where he really thinks and believes Saul is going to kill him eventually. He's just going to keep chasing me. Eventually, he's going to catch me, and I'm dead. That's what, one of the things that motivates him to, to go to, to Philistia. The point is he's distressed. That's, that's what he's calling out from. A very, very dark and difficult place. And notice it in verse 7. Again, the expression of prayer. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry came to his ears. Did you notice the repetition of him calling upon God? Verse 4, I called upon the Lord. Verse 7, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. What should we do when we face distress? Call to God. Again, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. He's able to do abundantly, far beyond all we could ask or think. Call to him. Call to him. From his temple he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. Now, now what we see in the the biggest part of the passage that we're going to look at tonight is the powerful deliverance of God. That's the best way I can explain this. Words fail to describe verses 8 through 16 and what David's doing here. He's using poetic, powerful, potent language to describe the greatness or the glory of God. Really, the glory is the right word for it. Uh, this, the, the, the word glory in the Old Testament means weight, weightiness. That's what God is like. It speaks to his grand significance and here you see essentially what I could only describe as an otherworldly description of God like when you read Revelation John's vision of heaven it's otherworldly isn't it because it is another world similar here but keep in mind the progression essentially David the Lord he's great he's a rock he's a refuge I called to him, and I was in terrible distress. It's like I was drowning. It's like I was held by death. I called to him in my distress, and you know what he did? My cry came to his ears. Now look at what God does. Verse verse 8. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Now there's a response to prayer. Look at that. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire came from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. Verse 10, he bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. 
This is the intervention of God. This is the invasion of God. The glorious otherworldly one who is Lord and who is King. He bowed the heavens and came down. Verse 11, he rode on a cherub and flew. He's not like an earthly king with a chariot and a few spears. He rides on a cherub through the air. He was seen on the wings of the wind. He made darkness around him his canopy. That's scary. Thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth, right? I mean, there's no Philistine warrior that stands up to this. There's no traitor in your own house that can match this. This God who heard David's prayer and invades and takes action. This is about the activity, the intervention of God in David's life. That's how David describes it. Verse 14, the Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them. By the way, the intent of an arrow is to kill. Lightning and routed them. God commands lightning bolts. He sends them out. Then the channels of the sea were seen. My goodness, the whole thing, the, the presence of God seems to affect all of the world and the, the creation itself. The channels of the sea were seen? The foundations of the world were laid bare? You mean the world has foundations? Well, at the presence of God, when he comes down, they're laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord and at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. Notice when this happens to David, and David calls out to God, verse 8, he was angry because David, his servant, is being threatened by evil men. Now, you just read that description. Incidentally, first and foremost, this, is, this sounds familiar to the Old Testament reader. This is familiar. This is like Exodus 19. There's, there's another place where God comes down. It's Exodus 19 on Sinai. God brings his people out of Egypt, and he comes down. What's it like when God comes down on Sinai? It's like this. That's where this imagery comes from. David is essentially reenacting, in answer to my prayer, it's like Sinai. It's another invasion of God. God intervenes in the world to save. I'm in distress, and he is going to powerfully, gloriously intervene. Now, have you read 1 Samuel? Did you, did you see this happen in 1 Samuel? You remember what David's going through in 1 Samuel? He's on the run from Saul, and he's like, there's a step between me and death. 1 Samuel 27, Saul is going to kill me. David's men, at one point, want to kill him. What am I going to do? What's David talking about in Psalm 22? He's talking about God delivering him from all of his enemies. But if you read 1 Samuel, you don't get this. Why? Because what David is doing is he is now, after he has been delivered, reflecting on God's deliverance of him. He was in a horrible state. He called out to God, and God intervened in a powerful way, a Sinai-like way. But if you read 1 Samuel, if you read the historic facts of 1 Samuel, you don't, it doesn't seem like this. You're like, oh, he's in a cave again? 
Now he's going to Philistia? He's going to this foreign king? And now his family's getting kidnapped? It doesn't, it doesn't seem like this. But here's the reality. In those contexts in 1 Samuel where David is praying to God, this is what is happening. It's just David doesn't see it like this. What you have in 2 Samuel 22 very helpfully is hindsight. David's been through it, and now after going through the turmoil and the, the cords of death and the snares of death, he's looking back on it when he prayed. God did hear him, and God did take action, and it looked like this, though in the moment and in the experience of it, it probably didn't look like this. Have you ever prayed and had this happen? I don't think so. <laughs> or have you? Or have you? David, David didn't realize what was happening. He, he, he didn't see this in the moment. He thought Saul was going to kill him. But see, here's the help for us as like observers of this whole thing. We can learn from David's hindsight. And we can learn that when we call out to God in, in our distress, he takes action. Powerful, glorious, weighty, fiery action that you might not see in your circumstances, but you know that he intervenes to deliver you. Isn't that amazing? David calls upon God in his terrible distress, and God takes action. The Lord bowed the heavens and came down. This is an answer to prayer. This is how he answers prayer. This might help you just kind of as an aside. When you read a book like the Revelation, which is, again, like an otherworldly vision, you read Revelation, you're like, my gosh, I, I don't see any of that stuff happening. Well, maybe because Revelation is from God's perspective and from heaven's perspective. It's not history as we experience it. Always. But what if you did see something like this? Or what if, you knew, what if you knew from your distress when you call out to God, this happens. God intervenes. What if you knew that? Which you should. That's why you have a text like this. How would that affect the way you pray? You probably have more courage when you pray, wouldn't you? My goodness, I can be faithful. I can say what needs to be said. I can do what needs to be done. God's going to get me through this. You know, I may die, but I, God's going to get me through this. Again, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, but if not, we're still not going to bow. It may kill me, but I know God's intervened and intervening and all-powerful and almighty, this is the God to whom I have to do. And it doesn't end there, verse 17. His powerful deliverance, look at what David says in verse 17. He sent from on high, he took me. <laughs> he drew me out of many waters. Now you see that word, drew me out of many waters? This word drew me out appears, this is a verb, it appears three times in the Old Testament. It appears here. It appears in Psalm 18, which again is kind of like a copy of this. And it appears in Exodus when Moses is drawn out of the water. 
I think that's intention. I think David is intentionally recalling the Exodus event and the life of Moses and God's deliverance of Moses and Israel and describing his own deliverance in those terms. This is amazing on many accounts. Number one, it shows you David knows the Bible. Why else would this word and this imagery being used? He drew me out of many waters. That's not literal. You don't read David's, you don't read 1 Samuel and be like, oh my goodness, David's stuck in a lake. No, the way God delivered Moses even out of the water and delivered Israel by coming down on Sinai in power, God has intervened to deliver me. What David does is he takes the greatest example, or at least one of the greatest examples in all the history of God's people, the Exodus event, and uses language and imagery from that to describe how God saves him and how God has delivered him. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. Look what David, the warrior, says in verse 18. For they were too mighty for me. David understood, I can't beat these enemies. I can't beat Saul. I can't defeat the Philistines. He knew this with Goliath. He knew that it was God who would save not by spear and not by sword. It was God who would deal with Goliath. Here's, here's one of the reasons David is so mightily used by God is he recognizes it's not by his strength or his might, it's by God's power. It's through his God that he can run through a troop. It's by his God that he can leap over a wall, as we'll see in the rest of 2 Samuel 22. They were too mighty for me, David recognizes and understands his insufficiency and his inadequacy and his utter need and desperate need for God, which is what everyone's got to understand and recognize if they're to be saved, if they're going to be delivered by God, if, they're going, if God is going to intervene on their behalf. It's not like as if, well, I've got this, but God, maybe if you could just provide me a bit of help. No, they are too mighty for me. And keep in mind, this is this is one of the great warriors of the ancient world. <clears throat> what is it? Saul had killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. They're too mighty for me. Verse 19, they confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Because he delighted me. You see, it's, it's unto him. David understands this is the work of God. This, this is about a great God and his intervention in my life. And notice it's because he delighted in me. God loves his people. They, <laughs> David now has had time to reflect on God's promises. He knows that in 2 Samuel 7, God promised that through his line would come this great eternal king. He's delighted in David by his grace. Not because David's a good guy. You don't read 2 Samuel and come to the conclusion, man, what a great father and husband David is. The opposite is true. My goodness, what a moral and upstanding character David is. No. David's a sinner. But you know what? He's a repentant sinner. And he's a sinner saved by grace. 
He drew me out of many waters. He saved me because he delighted in me. Just a few last facts. First of all, again, call upon the Lord when you're in distress. Secondly, you see here, what is David doing in just these verses? And he's going to do it in all of 2 Samuel 22. He's exalting the Lord. It's not about how great David is. What a good strategist he is. What a great leader he is. What a good planner he is. It's about God and how great God is. This, this is the answer to, to how David survives and how the people of God survive. It's, it's, it's him. It's the answer to how you'll survive as well. And you should exalt him in deliverance. That's what David does. Have you been delivered? You've been saved? Your salvation is much more significant than the deliverance from violent enemies in the world. That just postpones your death. Not a bad thing. But you've been delivered in a profound way by Jesus Christ, by his blood. You should exalt him in your deliverance. What you see David doing is you see David exalting God now that David has been delivered from all of his enemies. You know, David's done this before. It's not just when David's delivered from all of his enemies. If you go to Psalm 57, I'm going to read the whole thing. Psalm 57. It's a great example because this is one of the darkest times of David's life. It's when he's in the cave, surrounded by criminals, not knowing what's going to happen with Saul. And the refrain of the song from the cave in Psalm 57 is, be exalted, O God. David exalts God when he's in the furnace, and David in Psalm, 2 Samuel 22 exalts God when he's free from the furnace. Psalm 57 of the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. Look at that in verse 3. Future tense, when David's in the cave, he will send from heaven and save me. Did you notice in 2 Samuel 22 how he sent from heaven and saved David? He intervened. He rescued him. Verse 4 of Psalm 57. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. There's your repeated line and phrase in Psalm 57. That's the refrain of this hymn in the cave, be exalted. Not based on my circumstance that I'm going to worship God. It's based on your glory and your steadfast love that's never ending. Psalm 57, verse 6. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves, Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. There you have an attribute of God as the reason, the warrant for the praise. 
Verse 11, the refrain, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. Psalm 57, when David's in the furnace, when he's in the heat of the affliction, when he's in the darkness of the cave, he exalts God. 2 Samuel 22, when David's been delivered from all of his enemies, what does he do? He exalts God. What should you do? You should exalt God for his deliverance, for his salvation, for his work to save sinners like us. You should reflect on the times God has delivered you. You should tell others about how God has delivered you. Now, last point. David had an amazing saga of dangers, trials, and sins, and tears, and turmoil with God and with life. And he, look at how he ends. Actually, I got two points, sorry. Look at how he's, look at his last song. Don't you want your last song to be something like this? Praising God for his deliverance. This is how you want to go out. With a song like this. He's been through so much. And everybody's been through so much, haven't they? How you want to go out and how do you want to finish your last days? How about like this? The way David finishes is, in many ways, very encouraging. Wouldn't you like these kind of words to characterize how you finish the race? And to be essentially in the appendix of your life. Second Samuel, the last chapters are like an appendix of the, the, the kingship of David. We have his last song. We have his last words. We have another sin that he had committed. Last point is... We, as believers in Jesus Christ, have much greater confidence than David could have had or should have had in the Lord's deliverance. As believers in Jesus Christ, you have much greater reason for confidence than what David has in saying. I mean, look at this, this expression of the deliverance of God in verses 8 through 16. He bent the heavens and came down. Do you understand, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have much greater reason for confidence in the deliverance of God than David knew? David did not have Romans 8. Just in Romans 8, we know that God causes all things to work together for good. For those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. David didn't have that. David didn't have Romans 8.32. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give you all things? David didn't have Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this. He who began a good work and you will complete it. David had, Saul's going to get me. You have much greater reason for confidence in God's work in salvation in Christ than David had or knew. One last one. Let's just end with this. Hebrews 7.25. Look at this. Reality that can inspire the kind of confidence you see David reflecting at the end of his life in 2 Samuel 22. Look at what the author of Hebrews says. This is just mind-blowing. In Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, 
This is talking about Jesus and his priestly work. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. I don't think David knew that. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus the Lord of all, the high priest, ever lives to make intercession for you? He's always interceding for you? You have much greater reason for confidence in God and in deliverance, in salvation, than David had. And you look at the power of the words of 2 Samuel 22, and of course, we have reason for this great confidence because of Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins, sent by God, lived a perfect life, died for our sins, paid the price, was a ransom, was an atoning sacrifice, bought us, paid for us with his blood, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, Lord of all. We know so much more than David knew. We have so much reason for faith and trust in him. Do you trust him? He delivers those who call on him. David's a great sinner, but David's a great repenter. He forgives those who repent. The broken and contrite heart he will not despise. It's a beautiful thing to be repentant and to have a broken and contrite heart. God gives mercy through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the power of these words that we've witnessed and experienced and felt and seen and read and heard in 2 Samuel 22. This just glorious otherworldly description, God, of your intervention in our life through prayer, of your deliverance, God, that we might see it as we remember the deliverance of your people from Egypt. How, oh God, you, you delivered them with a mighty hand. And God, you deliver us with a mightier hand, Jesus Christ and his work. And God, you drew Moses out of the water, out of the tempest. You drew David out of the water and out of the mire. And God, you've drawn us out. And we thank you for that. So help us to trust you, Lord. And be thankful that our salvation isn't based on us. Our final perseverance isn't based on us. That It's based on you who began a good work in us. The King of kings and Lord of lords. And as we see, God, you brought David through, through many dangerous trials and snares. You brought David through, God. Just pray you'd bring us through. And we'd trust you. And God, we'd exalt you. We'd like David exalt you because of your salvation in Jesus' name. Amen.